0: Welcome to episode 142 of the truth quest podcast the truth about the great depression before we get started i want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show if you're on social media and topics such as the great depression antifa clarence thomas rush limbaugh or politically induced mental illness comes up please share the topic specific truth quest episode with your debate partner episodes are available on a host of platforms including itunes Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Bitshoot, Brighteon, ThinkSpot, Rumble, and Instagram, where I post a short highlight of each show at instagram.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Whatever platform you may be listening to this on, please take a moment and give it a five-star rating or leave a positive review. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through online advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Anyone educated in public school in the United States, or certainly anyone who took a college history class, has been force-fed a series of lies about the Great Depression. In this episode, I intend to set the record straight while pointing out along the way how the left-wing in America are truly a one-trick pony. They say the same shit today that they said almost a hundred years ago. Myth number one, Herbert Hoover and his free-market laissez-faire economic policies caused the Great Depression. Said another way, more like today's left-wing politicians, the failure of free-market capitalism caused the economic downturn. Myth number two, the New Deal kept the Great Depression from getting worse. Kind of like President Bush saying he had to abandon free market principles to save the free market system, pushing bailouts, TARP, etc. Or it's like Obama and his cheerleaders defending the abysmal economy during his eight years in office, saying stuff like, it would have been much worse if we had not pursued his policies. Of course, a completely unconfirmable claim. And myth number three, World War II cured the Depression. As is often the case, what you are not told is often as damaging as the lies that you are told. Kind of like how the corporate press conveniently leaves out relevant facts or completely ignores stories that may harm the Democrats. So we will fill in a bunch of those blanks throughout the episode as we uncover the truth about the Great Depression. I'm sure you've heard it stated over and over again that capitalism and free market economy was responsible for the Great Depression. And, of course, only government intervention brought about America's economic recovery. You know, because it was the wild, wild west back then. Everything was so unregulated. Huge margin calls crashed the stock market, etc., etc. This claim is very strange, as these same folks blame the very same regulatory environment that America had had its whole existence. Up to that point in 1929, the United States economy recovered from all other depressions and panics within a couple of years. Research the Depression of 1873, or the Depression of 1921, or the multiple so-called panics over the years all of which ended with some short-term pain, but the economy came back stronger than before. Another thing that is weird is why these lazy historians never ask why stock traders were so flush with cash and able to leverage so much on margin. Could it have been something to do with the Federal Reserve? More on that in a minute, but think about it. To believe that a government bureaucrat or a government agency can better manage or regulate a market versus private companies and private individuals who have their own money on the line is absurd. But it is an absurdity that the left makes even today. You know, the dot-com stock market collapse, the housing market collapse, and every other bad thing that happens in the economy is because there wasn't enough government regulation. Kind of like after every mass shooting, these same leftists start calling for more government-mandated gun control legislation. They are a one-trick pony. You've also likely heard this refrain. President Herbert Hoover, an advocate of hands-off, laissez-faire economic policy, stood idly by, refused to use the power of government to intervene in the markets while conditions worsened. It was up to Hoover's successor, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, to ride in on a white horse of government intervention and steer the nation towards recovery. It is important for you to understand that both Hoover and FDR subscribed to Keynesian economic theory, whereby the problem was thought to be the lack of consumption. They also distrusted the free market because it leads to lower prices, which they falsely believed would lead to lower wages. In other words, they both believed in forceful government intervention in the market. Thus, the constant tinkering with wage rates and pushing policies to benefit workers in different industries. Again, notice the one-trick-pony nature of their policies. Hoover pushed an enormous jump in spending amidst a collapse in tax revenue. A bad idea. This combination led to an unprecedented peacetime deficits, something FDR railed against during the 1932 campaign. Hoover took a $700 million surplus from President Calvin Coolidge and turned it into a $2.6 billion deficit by 1932. During the campaign, the lying say-whatever-you-need-to-say-to-get-elected hypocrite, Roosevelt blasted Hoover for spending and taxing too much, for boosting the national debt, for choking off trade, and putting millions on the government dole. He accused Hoover of, quote, reckless and extravagant spending, of thinking, quote, that we ought to center control of everything in Washington as rapidly as possible, and of presiding over, quote, the greatest spending administration in peacetime in all of history. Roosevelt's running mate, John Nance Gardner, charged that Hoover was, quote, leading the country down the path of socialism. Does that sound like the conventional view of Hoover? The crowning jewel of stupidity of the Hoover administration was the Smoot-Hawley Tariff, passed in June 1930. It came on top of another tariff bill eight years earlier, in 1922, which had already put American agriculture in a tailspin during the preceding decade. Smoot-Hawley, the most protectionist legislation in U.S. history, virtually closed the borders to foreign goods and ignited a vicious international trade war. Now, I'm going to read to you a description of this law, this tariff, from Professor Barry Polson. While I do, I want you to ask yourself the question, why do something like this in the middle of a dramatic economic downturn? Quote, the act raised the rates on the entire range of dutable commodities, for example, the average rate increased from 20 to 34 percent on agricultural products, from 36 to 47 percent on wines, spirits, and beverages, from 50 to 60 percent on wool and woolen manufacturers. In all, 887 tariffs were sharply increased, and the act broadened the list of dutable commodities to 3,200 items. A crucial part of the Smoot-Hawley tariff was that many tariffs were for a specific amount of money rather than a percentage of price. As prices fell by half or more during the Great Depression, the effective rate of those specific tariffs doubled, increasing the protection afforded under the Act. He goes on. Smooth hawley was a broad as it was deep, affecting a multitude of products. Before its passage, clocks had faced a tariff of 45%. The Act raised that to 55%, plus as much as another $4.50 per clock. Tariffs on corn and butter were roughly doubled. Even sauerkraut was tariffed for the first time. End quote. Most of the 60,000 people employed in U.S. plants making cheap clothing out of imported wool rags went home jobless after the tariff on wool rags rose by 14%. Officials in the administration and in Congress falsely believed that raising trade barriers would force Americans to buy more goods made at home, solving the raging unemployment problem. However, they ignored the two-way street nature of international trade. If foreigners cannot sell their goods here, then they cannot earn the dollars they need to buy there. Or to put it another way, government cannot shut off imports without simultaneously shutting off exports. So what do you think happened? Well, foreign governments soon retaliated with trade barriers of their own. Farm prices plummeted and tens of thousands of farmers went bankrupt. A bushel of wheat that sold for a dollar in 1929 was selling for a mere 30 cents by 1932. With the collapse of agriculture, rural banks failed in record numbers, dragging down hundreds of thousands of their customers. 9,000 banks closed their doors in the United States between 1930 and 1933. Smoot-Hawley, by itself, should lay to rest the myth that Hoover was a free market practitioner. But there is even more to the story of his administration's interventionist mistakes. If you're interested in a general conversation about tariffs, check out episode 24. Within a month of the stock market crash, Hoover convened conferences of business leaders like General Motors, Ford, and DuPont for the purpose of jawboning them into keeping wages artificially high, even though both profits and prices were falling. His administration celebrated rising wage rates through the early years of the Depression. What do you think eventually happened? The same damn thing that happens if you raise the minimum wage, higher unemployment, Because the number of people employed who were the recipient of these great wage rates were much fewer than the years previous. Come to find out, feel-good economic policies cannot defy the laws of economics. When the cost of labor goes up, especially artificially, demand for labor goes down. Fewer people working equals fewer consumers. Fewer consumers equals less stuff being purchased. Less stuff being purchased equals less work for the remaining workers. So the country was being run by a bunch of people who would fail in Economics 101 class. Unemployment in 1930 averaged a mild recessionary 8.9%, up from 32 in 1929. It shot up rapidly until peaking out at more than 25% in 1933. This free-market, capitalism-loving, laissez-faire champion Hoover also dramatically increased unconstitutional government spending for public works. Ever heard of the Hoover Dam? And he pushed huge subsidy and relief schemes. In the space of one year alone, from 1930 to 1931, the federal government's share of GNP soared from 16% to 21%. The Reconstruction Finance Corporation ladled out billions of dollars to prop up unhealthy banks and railroads. It offered business subsidies, low-interest loans, and extended credit to states in order to fund public works projects. So much for laissez-faire! I mean, what are these people talking about when they make such a claim about Hoover? It's crazy. In September 1931, with the money supply tumbling and the economy reeling from the impact of smooth hauling, the Fed imposed the biggest hike in the discount rate in history. As a result, bank deposits fell 15% within four months, meaning the money supply declined rather dramatically. Depositors got spooked, too, during this period, pulling their money out of the banks, which reduced loanable money from the banks even further which, of course, further exacerbated the problem. Compounding the error of high tariffs, huge subsidies, and crappy monetary policy, Congress then passed and Hoover signed the Revenue Act of 1932. Now, this, my friends, demonstrates a level of economic ignorance rarely seen, and it was the largest tax increase in peacetime history. Taxes were increased on dozens of products and services. The corporate tax rate was increased. It doubled the income tax rate. Hoover literally did everything wrong economically. Think about it. You have a failing economy, so you pass a punitive tariff law. You increase government spending while at the same time experiencing lower tax revenue. So you then raise taxes on the few people who are working. Then you manipulate the wage rates that they can be paid. After all of those shenanigans, you have an ineffective monetary policy. And just like President Bush laid the groundwork for his successor, Obama, to take his policies and spending to the next level, so did Hoover lay the groundwork for his successor, FDR, who unapologetically experimented with the lives and livelihoods of millions of Americans. Commenting decades later on the Hoover administration, Rexford Guy Tugwell, one of the architects of Roosevelt's policies of the 1930s, explained, quote, "...we didn't admit it at the time, but practically the whole New Deal was extrapolated from programs that Hoover started." End quote. "...so much for the blame Hoover or the free markets for the Great Depression." Now let's turn our attention to the claim that the New Deal kept the Great Depression from getting worse. The truth, as I will demonstrate, is that the Depression persisted because of FDR and the New Deal. Franklin Delano Roosevelt won the 1932 presidential election in a landslide. His platform included a 25% decrease in federal spending, a balanced federal budget, a sound gold currency, the removal of government from areas that belong more appropriately to private enterprise, and an end to the extravagance of Hoover's farm programs. All of it was lies. He also falsely believed that he could manipulate the market to the extent that both wages and prices would rise at the same time. I'm going to just come out and say it, FDR was a bad man. I know to many of you that's kind of like blasphemy, as this guy always ranks at the top of list of greatest presidents, you know, for leading us through the war, serving almost four grueling terms in office, all while being stricken with polio. I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but this guy was truly evil and a megalomaniac. I'm going to save most of my evidence for arriving at that conclusion for a future episode dedicated to this man, but here's a sample of it as it relates to the topic at hand, the Great Depression. FDR confiscated citizens' gold because the dollar was backed by gold reserves, so he needed more reserves in order to print more money. That would be the equivalent of a modern president confiscating, I don't know, like your 401k or your IRA or your savings account. Oh, and speaking of gold, FDR literally determined the price of gold himself every morning, sometimes based on his lucky number, seven. FDR declared a bank holiday the day after taking office in 1933, to avoid runs on banks. It worked so well that, of the 5,000 banks at the time, 2,000 never reopened. On a side note, these depression-error bank failures are strange because not a single Canadian bank failed during this time. Why, you ask? Well, Because they employed branch banking, so they diversified their deposit base. Thanks to the U.S. government's regulations, our banks operated under unit banking rules. No diversification was allowed, so if your bank was in a particular area that hard hit by the Depression, you were toast. In other words, the bank panics were caused by government policies restricting diversification. Back to FDR. Did you know that he ordered the destruction of fields full of corn, cotton, and wheat? Healthy cattle, sheep, and pigs were slaughtered and buried in mass graves? All in the name of raising prices. Remember, this is the altar that Hoover and FDR worshipped at higher prices, and higher wages. The inhumanity of this policy is inexplicable. With people literally starving around the country, this food destruction shit is going on. It's unbelievable. On an economic level, it demonstrates a level of stupidity and an ignorance that is almost as inexplicable. Econ 101. What happens when the cost of products goes up? Lower demand. And with lower demand comes lower output, which means lower employment. The unemployed cannot afford to purchase higher-priced food products. The pursuit of this policy was knowable, avoidable, and a vicious cycle. FDR raised income tax, corporate tax, and estate tax rates. As columnist Walter Lippman said, FDR basically did everything to, quote, to reduce or discourage the production of wealth. At one point, Roosevelt even floated the idea to tax all incomes over $25,000 at 100%. The dude was literally insane. Then there was the Wagner Act in 1935, which was a new collective bargaining rights that were granted to unions. Wages started to rise, as did prices on goods and services. Another failed federal government market manipulation ensued. The artificial wage rates interfered with the market's ability to reset naturally, which would have occurred through lowering wages and cutting back some employment. There would have been some bankruptcies, of course, all of which would have freed up these resources to pursue other productive employment or other profitable endeavors. Instead, we got employers hiring fewer workers due to the inflated wage rates, which equated to higher unemployment. And as prices rose, there was lower demand. We had regulations upon regulations upon regulations, FDR created the Security and Exchange Commission, of course, to regulate Wall Street following the collapse of 1929. We got the National Labor Relations Board, the FHA, Social Security, the Agricultural Adjustment Act, the National Industrial Recovery Act, Civilian Conservation Corps, the Federal Emergency Relief Act, the Tennessee Valley Authority, the National Recovery Administration, among many, many others. See how every crisis, whether it's the Great Depression, World War II, 9-11, the housing collapse of 2008, or the so-called insurrection at the Capitol in January 2021, you see how that always results in more power migrating to Washington, D.C.? It's just a slow march towards totalitarianism. All of that was followed up with anti-business laws that killed the prospects of expanding operations. Again, minimum wage laws and hours worked laws killed jobs and production, limiting supplies with which raised prices, which were countered with price controls. I mean, the government can fix everything. In his private diary, FDR's very own Treasury Secretary Henry Morgenthau wrote, quote, We have tried spending money. We are spending more than we have ever spent before, and it does not work. We have never made good on our promises. I say after eight years of this administration, we have just as much unemployment as when we started, and an enormous debt to boot, end quote. So, 12 years after the stock market crash of Black Thursday, where production of the na- nation's factories, mines, and utilities fell by more than half, where people's real disposable incomes dropped by almost 30%, 10 million Americans were still homeless. The unemployment rate was still in excess of 17%. By the way, did you know that throughout the Great Depression, unemployment in Canada was lower than the United States? That's weird, since they didn't employ all the bullshit New Deal stuff. Roosevelt had pledged in 1932 to end the crisis, but it persisted for two presidential terms and countless interventions. The fact is the economy recuperated much more slowly under FDR than it did before or after his reign of economic terror. So the claim that FDR and the New Deal kept the Great Depression from getting worse is another unknowable claim, and I'll just say it, a lie. Quite the opposite is true. He and it quite demonstratively prolonged the Great Depression. And myth number three, the massive government spending of the war cured the 13-year-old depression. When you pull 16 million people, or 28% of the workforce, out of the labor force to go fight a war? you're likely to see lower unemployment domestically. Duh. So I'm thinking maybe the answer to every major economic downturn is to start a boots-on-the-ground war and reinstitute the draft. The fact that the Great Depression lasted 13 years, 9 to 10 years longer than every other depression, is the story here. This myth about World War II curing it is irrelevant if it hadn't been for Hoover and FDR's utter economic incompetence and willful negligence. Look no further than the post World War II economy for evidence. The economy didn't collapse after World War II because FDR and all his insane quackery economic experiments were gone for the most part, and federal spending was reduced dramatically, and tax reductions encouraged entrepreneurship. Have you ever wondered how the economy was able to reabsorb some 12 million war veterans without mass unemployment ensuing? I want to spend a couple minutes on the Federal Reserve and the part it played in the Great Depression. If you're interested in learning more about the Fed, check out episodes 27 and 28. As evil as FDR was, the Federal Reserve is worse, as are all central banks, because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. From mid-1921 through mid-1929, the Fed expanded the money supply by more than 60%. This artificially lowered interest rates and led to a misguided feeling of prosperity, which led to malinvestment. This malinvestment pushed up the stock market, kind of like what's going on today, and gave birth to the roaring 20s, which resulted in many good things, by the way. Unprecedented prosperity. Many households got electricity for the first time. Automobiles became more widely owned. Radios, appliances, refrigerators, vacuum cleaners. All these great things were introduced in the 1920s. But by 1928, the Federal Reserve was raising interest rates and choking off the money supply. For example, its discount rate, that's the rate that the Fed charges member banks for loans, was increased four times, from 3.5% to 6% between January 1928 and August 1929. In other words, the bubble that the Fed blew up during the 20s was pricked. Investors came to their senses and asset prices reverted to the mean instead of continuing at their inflated levels. After the stock market crash, the Fed waffled and aggressively lowered the discount rate several times, down to 1.5% in 1931, again opening the spigot to flood the market with liquidity. Kind of like what's happening today. It again seesawed its monetary policies in the mid-1930s, first up, then down, then up sharply through America's entry into World War II. Experience has shown time and again that a roller coaster monetary policy is enough by itself to produce a roller coaster economy. Investors need stability, not a schizophrenic central bank. During the Depression, banks held on to excess reserves rather than making risky investments and/or loans. Meanwhile, the Federal Reserve manipulated interest rates by keeping them low, which further thwarted banks’ interest in making loans. If rates had been allowed to rise, banks may have been willing to take some risks. The most comprehensive chronicle of monetary policy of the period can be found in the classic work A Monetary History of the United States, 1867-1960, to by Nobel Prize winner Milton Friedman and his colleague Anna Schwartz. Friedman and Schwartz argue conclusively that the contraction in the nation's money supply by one-third between August 1929 and March 1933 was an enormous drag on the economy and largely the result of seismic incompetence by the Fed. By way of concluding this episode, I want to share some thoughts from three very capable historians slash economists. First, Larry Reed, quote, The history of the Great Crash and subsequent depression provides a sad litany of policy blunders in Washington. Altogether, they needlessly caused and prolonged the pain. Rollercoaster monetary policy, sky-high tariff hikes, massive tax increases, government-supervised destruction of foodstuffs, gold seizures price-fixing regulations, soaring deficits and debt, special favors to organized labor that stifled investment and boosted unemployment. Myths and misconceptions about our most calamitous economic episode abound. From Chapter 24 of Tom Wood's book, 33 Questions About American History You're Not Supposed to Ask. Quote, Government intervention always stifles the real economy because government is inherently inefficient. The New Deal was a massive government intervention which is why the downturn lasted so long. Every dollar spent by the government is one less dollar available to the private sector, which makes better informed decisions than the government." End quote. And finally, Robert Higgs, a highly regarded economic historian, had this to say. As many observers claimed at the time, the New Deal did prolong the Depression, FDR and Congress especially during the congressional sessions of 1933 to 1935 embraced interventionist policies on a wide front with its bewildering incoherent mass of new expenditures taxes subsidies regulations and direct government participation in productive activities The New Deal created so much confusion, fear, uncertainty, and hostility among businessmen and investors that private investment, and hence overall private economic activity, never recovered enough to restore the high levels of production and employment enjoyed in the 1920s. The American economy between 1930 and 1940 failed to add anything to its capital stock. Net private investment for that 11-year period totaled minus $3.1 billion. Without capital accumulation, no economy can grow. If demagoguery were a powerful means of creating prosperity, then FDR might have lifted the country out of the Depression in short order. But in 1939, 10 years after its onset, and 6 years after the commencement of the New Deal, 9.5 million persons, or 17% of the labor force, remained officially unemployed. So, at the end of the day, the failure of free market capitalism did not cause the Great Depression. The New Deal did not keep it from getting worse, and World War II did not cure it. As a matter of fact, it took Presidents, Hoover, and FDR to make the Depression great. And that is the truth about the Great Depression. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.